Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we focus on the FIFA Women's World Cup, with Nigeria delighting the continent with a famous win over co-hosts Australia, while the other African teams are struggling. We speak to Osasu Obaiwana, who's covering the World Cup. If Nigeria can get that, I see no reason why Nigeria should not be in the top 10 of women's football at all times. That's coming shortly. Also, we analyse the surprise move of Ivory Coast forward Wilfred Zaha to Turkish club Galatasaray from Crystal Palace. And we have Stuart on Kylian Mbappe's decision not to go to Saudi Arabia. Well, lots on the FIFA Women's World Cup in New Zealand and Australia this week. And what a win for Nigeria on Thursday, beating Australia 3-2 in Brisbane to breathe some life into Africa's otherwise disappointing campaign so far. The Super Falcons put in a great performance against Australia. They were 1-0 down towards the end of the first half, but equalised soon after through Uchenu Kanu. Osinachi Ohale's header made it 2-1, and five-time Women's African Footballer of the Year, Asisat Oshwala got the third with a clinical finish from an acute angle. Australia then pulling one back deep into stoppage time. Very exciting game. Nigeria now need just a point against Ireland on Monday. Ireland already eliminated her from the competition. Uh, not so good elsewhere, though, for the continent. Uh, Zambia out after just two games, uh, losing 5-0 to Japan and 5-0 to Spain. They'll play Costa Rica on Monday. Uh, disappointing results, but it is a first Women's World Cup for Zambia. Uh, South Africa had a great chance to cause an upset against Sweden in their opening game, uh, but threw away a 1-0 lead and a loss 2-1 with a 90th-minute goal. Uh, for Morocco, their first Women's World World Cup. It was never going to be easy against Germany in their opener, losing by six goals to nil. They'll play South Korea on Sunday. Well, African football expert Osasu Obaiwana is at the World Cup. I spoke to him in Sydney in Australia. This was recorded before Nigeria's win over Australia. I asked for Osasu's impressions of the tournament so far. Well, I've attended two games. In Sydney so far, the opening game between Australia and Ireland at the Olympic Park. And I watched the game in Colombia and South Korea at the Sydney Football Stadium. Opening game was packed full, no seat to spare. Second game was about 70-80% for good crowd, good atmosphere. Uh, I think people in Australia are really taking to this tournament. And I think if the Matildas do well, that would even increase them more. The record crowd so far crowd for the game between New Zealand and Norway, that was the biggest crowd ever for a football match in New Zealand, male or female. So um, I think the tournament is well received in, uh, generally. Australia basically are already a, a pace setter in terms of standing. They've hosted several Olympic games, several Commonwealth games. So for them, this is part of the course. It's not something new. And uh, tell us about some of the people that you've met there. I guess you've uh, come across uh, plenty of Africans uh, living in Sydney. Actually, not so many. The only Africans really met are the ones in the tournament. Uh, I spent uh, the weekend with the Zambian side in, in Hamilton, New Zealand. 
uh, spent a good bit of time with Captain Barbara Banda, uh, had some time with the coach Bouzouape, and also president of the FA, uh, Andrew Kamanga. So I've had quite a number of conversations with um, the national channel, um, the ABC, and also with another channel, SBS. And they've generally been asking me what the problem is with Nigerian football in terms of being wages, allowances and salaries. And I just simply tell them it's unacceptable. It's a it's a it's a disgrace. And those who are not doing their duty are basically incompetent. That's the longer and short of it. Is there any excuse Steve, for not paying the coach for 14 months? Is there any excuse for not paying players allowances from uh Matches they played over two years ago. Is there any excuse why four players who played at the last African Cup of Nations have not received almost $39,000 in allowances for over one year while all their other colleagues have been paid? What excuses are there for that? There are no excuses. Yeah, it's something we talked about on the show uh, on the run-up uh, to the tournament. So um, it's still... Fairly early days, halfway through the group stage, uh, but we can tell it's probably not going to be a great tournament for Africa. And three of the four African teams did have uh, issues uh, in the build-up. Morocco, the only one as far as we know that had a a smooth build-up. Would you say that this is the main reason for performance, or uh, many are saying that uh, it's just quite clear that uh, women's football in Africa still has a long, long way to go to catch up with other nations. Look, Morocco were totally outclassed by Germany. They're not in the same class as Germany. But even then, I think a 6-0 defeat is not acceptable, regardless. I think it's, it's unacceptable for a team representing Africa to be receiving a cricket score at a football game. It's, it's not acceptable. Um, with regards to Bafana's loss to Sweden, I was particularly very, very cross with that. Because Bafana should have won the game. They were in control of the game before they had gave Sweden an equaliser, which totally changed the, the context and character of the game, giving Sweden the impetus and drive to actually go for a winner. So it was really upsetting to see Bafana lose that match. They should have won the game. Uh, Zambia, Japan. Yes, Japan, uh, former world champions, have so much more experience than Zambia. But I think that the Zambians conceded the goals they did just because they weren't tactically disciplined. They didn't make Japan really work hard for the goals they scored. They made it so easy for them. And and that's what I found upsetting. If you're going to lose, you know, to a superior opponent, at least make the superior opponent work hard for the goals they get. Don't give, don't give it to them on a platter of gold, which is what happened in the case of Zambia. Yeah, so would you put that down to... The preparation side of things or just that the probably African football, uh, female football is just not there yet? I think in the case of Nigeria, there's no excuse. They've been playing World Cup football for 32 years now. Uh, They have the players to be global contenders if only they are professionally managed. The team needs right quality of manager. The team needs the right quality of, of administrative support. If Nigeria can get that, I see no reason why Nigeria should not be in the top 10 of women's football at all times. I don't see why they shouldn't be challenging for a World Cup. Um, with regards to South Africa, I think they can also go in the same direction if they can just have this, the stability in terms of administrative support. I think uh, Desiree Ellis is a very good coach. 
I think she's trying to do something really good with Banyana Banyana, but it's going to take time as well. Morocco, funnily enough, I think if they can find the right quality of talent, they have a great future because they are actually quite intentional and methodic in the way about they develop their football. So if they can just find uh, the right quality of players or develop the right quality of players, I actually think in the future, Morocco could be a force to reckon with. And I think the same applies to Zambia as well. And uh, Asasu, from what you're seeing there, South Africa are bidding to host the 2027 edition of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Um, what's the magnitude of, of this? Because this um, edition is taking place across two countries. Uh, do you think it's feasible for South Africa to be able to put on a show like this? Of course they can host the Women's World Cup very easily. They have all the facilities, everything's there. And I think that with, with, with the increased stature of Banyana Banyana, I think they would get a lot of people watching the game. So it's not a question of whether South Africa can host it. It's a question of whether the national associations want South Africa to host it. I'm speaking there to African football expert Osasu Obaiwana in Australia. As I say, that was recorded before Nigeria's great win against Australia. But those issues of player welfare still stand. So we'll see how the African teams do in the rest of the group stage and if any others can impress like Nigeria in that match. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, Ivory Coast forward Wilfried Zaha has joined Turkish club Galatasaray on a three-year deal after his Crystal Palace contract expired. Zaha is 30. Uh, something of a surprise move, this, Ida. I agree. It was quite surprising, Steve, especially when you think about the offers that were on his table. He'd just been offered a £200,000 a week contract by Palace, and that was the highest in the club's history. The likes of PSG, Marseille, Atletico Madrid, Lazio, you know, they'd all expressed interest, though we might never know if it was serious. And of course, the big one of the moment, the Saudi League. I mean, it wouldn't have been the silliest guess in the world to think that he'd go there. Al Nasser, which is the club that Cristiano plays for, they had tabled a very lucrative offer to Zaha. But Zaha came through the Palace Academy. He's been there for 20 years, Steve. He then made his senior debut in 2010 at the age of 17, and he quickly became a first-team regular for the Eagles. He helped them gain promotion to the Premier League in 2013, which was huge for the club. He spent just one season away from the club. That was when he joined Manchester United in 2013 but is said to have had quite the controversial time there, and then he returned to Palace a year later. In total, he made 458 appearances for the Eagles, the third most in their history. And in October 2021, well, this was a special one because Zaha became the first Palace player to reach 50 top-flight goals for the club. That was when he scored in that 2-0 win over Manchester City, definitely still etched in their memory. He scored 90 goals in total for the club, including only seven last season. Palace manager Roy Hodgson had some really kind words for the forward, Steve. 
Zaha and Hodgson actually share quite a bit in their history. You see, before switching his international allegiance to Ivory Coast, Zaha played in two English friendlies under Hodgson, but you know, maybe saw that it wasn't really going to go anywhere and then switched sides. So the two do know each other on both fronts. But Zaha's is definitely a curious case, Steve, because with his talent, many wondered why he didn't play for a bigger club later. I mean, sure, Manchester United didn't work out, but maybe he was a bit too young then, you know? And then Palace rejected offers from the likes of Arsenal and Everton in 2019. I mean, I couldn't be the only one who would be constantly surprised time and time again, Steve, at the start of a new season to see Zaha turn out for Palace. So it would be interesting to get his current mindset. He might just be in a totally, totally different space, you know, after spending almost all his life in one place. He's also spent such a big part of his life in the headlines that, you know, maybe now he just wants something a bit more low-key, you know. He clearly didn't want to go to the new and very loud shine of the Saudi league. (laughs) So it clearly wasn't about the money. He's also just gotten married a few weeks ago. And he's also just teamed up with old friends to buy their childhood ninth tier football club. So, hey, his priorities really could be very different. And at least with Galatasaray, he actually stands a realistic chance of playing in the Champions League. Something, frankly, that a player of his caliber really should have gotten to do much earlier. Well, thanks, Ida. Lots of questions there. And surely, indeed, Zaha should have joined a really big club in the Premier League and was close to going to Arsenal uh, back in 2019. Uh, Good at least they will be playing in the Champions League with Galatasaray this season. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Riyad Mahrez's years in the English Premier League. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now. And last week we asked, what are you expecting from Andre Onana at Manchester United? As United have signed the Cameroonian goalkeeper Andre Anana from Inter Milan as a replacement for David De Gea, uh, joining on a five-year contract. Well, there haven't been that many African goalkeepers in the English Premier League. This is certainly one of the biggest moves. So we asked, what are you expecting from Andre Anana? Let's start in Nigeria. And Chimex Obachi says, I want him to break the records of his predecessors at Manchester United. And I'm expecting lots of trophies, says Chimex. Uh, Belong Baji in the Gambia says Onana will be a pace setter. He's purposeful and experienced. His move to the English Premier League will see more of that great ball distribution, says Belong. Also in the Gambia, Asan says, My expectation is huge. Onana is self-motivated and confident as a young goalkeeper. He'll definitely perform well in the English Premier League. I wish him all the best, says Asan. 
In Nigeria, Tuta Gaia says we're expecting the best, and Mbaisa, who's in the USA, says we're expecting the Champions League uh, from Onana. In Uganda, Andre Hard says, uh, yeah, he's made it to the big time for sure, and Onana will take the title with Manchester United this time. And in Kenya, Jackson Mabiala says, I'm expecting clean sheets uh, from Onana. And uh, finally, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says, I'm expecting a successful Premier League season from Onana at Manchester United, wishing him all the best of luck there. And, uh, well, the new season now is just two weeks away. The Community Shield is on next weekend uh, with Man City playing Arsenal. Uh, for Manchester United, their first game in the league is at home to Wolves, then they play away to Tottenham, at home to Nottingham Forest, and then a big game away to Arsenal. So we'll see how Andre Onana does in those opening fixtures well I'm looking forward to Onana really establishing himself at Manchester United and uh, shining as one of the best African keepers that we've seen in the English Premier League and hoping that he will justify that a big price tag uh, as well so definitely wishing Andre Onana the uh, Cameroonian all the very best uh, in the English Premier League Well, thanks very much for those comments. Always great to hear from you. And uh, this week on social media asking, should Kylian Mbappe have taken the money in Saudi Arabia? Uh, So Mbappe, arguably the best player in the world, has decided not to discuss a move to Saudi Arabia with Al-Hilal, who made a world record transfer bid of $332 million. Mbappe could have earned around about $767 million in just one season in Saudi Arabia, but he wants to stay with Paris Saint-Germain in France, and then reportedly he'd want to join Real Madrid on a free transfer. Uh, So did Mbappe make the right decision to turn down the big money in Saudi Arabia? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Should Mbappe have taken the money in Saudi Arabia? Well, let's get more on this from our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. So it looks as though he will be staying at uh, Paris Saint-Germain for this season, Stuart. Yes, Kylian Mbappe of PSG has just one year of his contract to run and he's informed the club that he will not sign a new contract. His desire is to let his contract run out and leave one year from now on a free transfer, which would effectively mean that he can choose his next club and also, of course, negotiate an enormous salary given that there's no transfer fee involved. He said in the past he'd like to play for Real Madrid at some point in his career. PSG, at the moment, are telling him he must either sign a new contract or leave now, and the impasse between them is such that the team had just gone off to Japan on a pre-season tour and Mbappé has been left at home in Paris. Then suddenly Al-Hilal in Saudi Arabia offer a reported $300 million to sign him. But, I mean, at 24, I never thought he was likely to want to spend the rest of his career in Saudi Arabia. And he is now reportedly declined even to speak to Al-Hilal. There are actually rumours too that he already has an agreement in place to join Real Madrid next year. And let's be honest, which club in Europe or the world would not want to sign Mbappe if he's available on a free transfer? Mbappe 
to be fair, has done nothing wrong. He's indicated that he's willing to play for PSG to see out his contract, and he has decided he doesn't want to sign another contract. My best guess that he will stick with his decision uh, to ignore the enormous money offer from Saudi Arabia, that he will go to Real Madrid... PSG would like him to go to Real Madrid now if he's going to go so that they might get something like $100 million. Whereas the Spanish club seem to be quite happy to wait a year and have him for nothing. We'll have to see how this develops over the next few days and weeks. Okay, yeah, and then another big question is uh, whether Paris Saint-Germain will allow Mbappe to play in the first team if he stays. So it's going to be an interesting uh, story, this one, as it continues. Uh, So $332 million uh, was the transfer fee that uh, Al-Hilal in Saudi Arabia were offering, which uh, shows how there's been such a massive uh, escalation in transfer fees over the years. Um, A few days ago, Trevor Francis uh, died. He was the uh, first uh, player in England to be sold for £1 million. Uh, That was back in 1979. Uh, Well, a few years ago, in 2019, Stuart had a chance to talk to uh, Trevor Francis about becoming the first player to be sold for a million pounds. And I had to kind of adjust to to life as a Nottingham Forest player, you know, rather than being like the, the top dog at Birmingham. I was just another player at Nottingham Forest, but I was with some very, very good players. I think that I will always be known as the first million pound footballer. Every sporting event function that I go to, I'm always announced as we've got with us the first million pound footballer, Trevor Francis. I have to say that it created greater excitement and greater interest than any of the modern day transfers. If you ask me a question now, for example, what is the current record transfer fee? I would, my answer would be, it would be around 150 million. I don't know if that's correct or not, but at the time, everyone was fascinated by the million pound transfer, and still are. You know, I played against Maradona in Italy on, on two or three occasions, and I never ever thought, having watched in close quarters, there'd be anyone to, to touch Maradona. The things have changed in football. You know, the refereeing interpretation, you know, of the foul. I mean, players are protected far greater today and the surfaces are so much better and, you know, Messi's in a great Barcelona team and, but the two of them are incredible talents. I absolutely love watching them. Maradona, Pele, Ronaldo and, uh, Messi. So that's Trevor Francis, uh, who passed away a few days ago on uh, having become uh, Britain's first one million pound player, which was back in 1979. Must have been so interesting to have uh, met him in 2019, Stuart, for that chat. And what a contrast to how things uh, are now with uh, transfer fees. What you mean one and a half million dollars compared to 330 million dollars? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, what interested me was how Francis there saying that he felt that that label never left him, that even though transfer fees spiralled, he was still introduced at uh, events as the first million pound player. I was also interested in his uh, assessment of uh, who the greatest player was. Perhaps go- interesting that, that he was going for Maradona ahead of uh, Ronaldo and Messi. I mean, there are some great stories he told me, Steve, about how he signed as a million-pound player at Nottingham Forest and was immediately asked to make the tea for the staff.
and there's legendary manager Brian Clough telling him, uh, you know, that, that there there are no superstars here. You're just another player like the rest of it. Uh, just get, get on with it like everybody else. And, and another remarkable story was that he had played brilliantly throughout the season when Forrest won the Champions League for the second year, but he didn't play in the final because he was injured. And Brian Clough wouldn't let him even go to the game. And when the players had an open-top celebration, uh, Francis was not allowed to be on the bus because you didn't play, young man. (laughs) Remarkable. Strange days. Well, so the legendary uh, British manager Brian Clough uh, had a culture of uh, keeping players humble. I don't know how he would have done in this era where there are so many uh, big superstars like uh, Killian Mbappe. And uh, Harry Kane. Now, this is uh, another transfer story that is yet to be resolved. Uh, Harry Kane, uh, another of the most valuable players uh, in the world. Is he going to go to Bayern Munich in Germany? Will he stay at Spurs? Well, Kane isn't exactly the same situation as Mbappe. One year to go on his contract. We understand that Tottenham have offered him a new contract at half a million dollars a week. But Kane's preference is to leave. He's been at Tottenham since 2009, but doesn't want to finish his career without winning some trophies. He has had talks with Bayern Munich and the German club say that Kane is keen to join them. Manchester United have also reported an interest in the club, but they may struggle to pay him that half million dollars a week, both because of the financial fair play rules, but also because that would be a hundred thousand dollars a week more than the deal they've recently agreed with Marcus Rashford. But it may be a few weeks before this situation is resolved. And Steve, it's not just players who are in demand. We understand that the Fulham uh, manager Marcos Silva has been offered $25 million a year to manage Elahi, uh, but he's decided to stay at Fulham. Interesting times and uh, crazy numbers uh, in football these days. Um, so let's uh, talk more about Saudi Arabia. It's been such a theme over the last few weeks. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, uh, the Algeria great, uh, has decided to leave Manchester City and uh, to go there. Um, your thoughts uh, on the move, Stuart? Well, at 32, Mahrez has decided to leave Manchester City and take the money. Born in France, he played six years at La Havre in the French second division before Leicester City signed him in 2014. At that stage, Leicester were in the championship, but with Mahrez, they were promoted to the Premier League and, of course, two years later, won the Premier League championship, the most amazing uh, shock result, really. Then the following season, they finished mid-table but reached the quarter-final of the Champions League, quite unlucky to lose by a single goal. And Maris stayed one more year before going to Manchester City. He had played 158 league games for Leicester City, scoring 42 goals, and played 145 for Manchester City, scoring 43. At Manchester City, he won... Everything, really. He won the Premier League five times, the FA Cup twice, the League Cup three times, and the Champions League once, although technically he didn't play in the final. 
But he never started more than 23 league games in any season at Manchester City. But that's normal at City with such a big squad. And Marys was always fighting for a starting place with Bernardo Silva, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, with normally just two of the four starting. And Pep Guardiola never seemed to believe in having a settled starting lineup, but chose the team for a particular game. For example, I once heard him say that Bernardo Silva offered more defensively than Mares, so in a tight away game, he often prepared Silva. And we highlighted last year, you may remember, Steve, Mares scoring three goals one week for City and being dropped for the next game. He didn't do anything wrong, it's just that Manchester City have so many options in every position and that Pep was always wanting to try something different. Overall, I would put Maris alongside Didier Drogba and Yaya Torre as the three African players who made the biggest impact in the Premier League. The only negative comment I can make about him is taking penalties. He's taken 37 penalties for club and country and missed 10 of them. That's quite a lot. Now, I know Andy King, who played in that Leicester City Premier League side with Mares and trained with him every day for several years. I asked King for an assessment of his former teammate. He said, Riyad has all the natural ability, and with the exception of Gareth Bale, he's the most naturally gifted footballer I have ever seen. And some of the stuff he used to do in training was twice as good as what he would do in the match day. And the fans never get to see that. Quite a recommendation, really. Well, we'll certainly miss watching Riyad Mahrez in the English Premier League, uh, one of the most exciting players to watch and most skillful players uh, over the past few years. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Stuart Weir and from Ida Waringa, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.